Radio.com. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. The sunrise morning show. Hey, a way to start your day. It is Friday, the 14th of July, the Feast of St. Kateri Tekakwitha. Let's pray a prayer as we head into the weekend uh, to St. Joseph for all who are unemployed. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Silent and well-known carpenter in Nazareth, model of workers, by the work of your hands you gave your contribution to the work of the Creator. You earned your living, and you provided for the needs of the Holy Family. Intercede for all workers in the difficulties of their daily lives, especially for the unemployed, and their anxieties for tomorrow so that through the guidance of God, the great architect and builder, they all may use their strength and talents to make visible God's new creation, to offer a concrete service to society, and to earn wages worthy of their efforts. With confidence and trust, we make this prayer through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. St. Joseph, pray for us. And St. Kateri Tekakwitha, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. We're glad that you're with us here on a Friday morning. I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And up this hour, uh, we've got all kinds of fun stuff to talk about. Scott Borchers will be with us from Nazareth Re- Revisited to discuss attachment and family peace. Dr. Chad Pecknold will talk about Bastille Day and Catholic political thought. Of course, he's doing a series on Catholic political thought for the Institute of Catholic Culture as well. We'll discuss St. Kateri Tekakwitha with Amy Wellborn on this Kateri's Feast Day. And then Father Jonathan Duncan will help us look ahead to the Sunday Mass readings. So stay with us if you're able. Right now it's two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. The U.S. bishops have denounced the Food and Drug Administration's approval yesterday of an over-the-counter birth control pill. The Dublin-based manufacturer has said Opil will likely be available for purchase in the United States next year, marking the first time that hormonal contraception will be available in the U.S. without a prescription. Bishop Robert Barron released a statement saying, quote, this action by a government entity flies in the face of responsible medical practice and concerns for women's health. Claims that the benefits of this action outweigh the risks are unfounded, especially in light of strong evidence of the many harmful risks of hormonal contraception to women's health. Bishop Barron said, quote, allowing this hormonal contraception to be dispensed over the counter without the supervision of a doctor and contrary to the mounting evidence of many harmful side effects violates the Hippocratic Oath by putting the health of women at grave risk, end quote. Meanwhile, in Washington, a divided House voted yesterday to end Department of Defense policies that pay for abortion travel and for transgender surgeries for members of the military. These were two amendments that passed on a nearly party line basis in the National Defense Authorization Act, which will set the military's budget for the next fiscal year. A brutal heat wave continues to roast much of the southern U.S. More from Mark Mayfield. In Death Valley, California, temperatures could potentially reach 130 degrees this weekend, which would match the highest temperature ever reliably recorded on Earth. Heat warnings and advisories are in effect for millions of people. In Phoenix, the high temperatures have been over 110 degrees for nearly two weeks, with no end in sight. 
In El Paso and Miami, the highs have been over 100 degrees for nearly a month. I'm Mark Mayfield. Hollywood is going dark as film and television production grinds to a halt now. The union, representing 160,000 actors, is going on strike, joining the screenwriters who have been on strike for nearly two and a half months now. The biggest entertainment shutdown in decades means that all work covered by SAG actors must stop, as well as film and television productions shutting down. Actors will be hitting the picket lines later today. The Vatican's Secretary for Relations with States has spoken on the Pope's efforts for peace in Ukraine at a presentation for a new book entitled Ukrainian Lessons. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. Archbishop Paul Richard Gallagher illustrated the position taken by the Holy Father regarding the war in Ukraine and the interpretation given to his words and gestures. The Vatican Secretary for Relations with States and International Organizations noted that the Pope's words in favor of peace have at times been received with disappointment in Kiev. He said such an interpretation fails to do justice to the Pope's intentions who refuses to resign himself to war. Archbishop Gallagher said the Pope is not offering acts of empty passivism or pious wishful thinking. What motivates the Holy Father, he said, is his desire to make dialogue and peace possible, inspired by the principle that the Church should not use the language of politics but the language of Jesus. Archbishop Gallagher added that the Pope's gestures and words are not the expressions of a mere rhetoric of peace but of a strong and courageous prophecy of peace which challenges the reality of war and its supposed inevitability. He recalled how the Apostolic Nuncio has remained in the Ukrainian capital as a way to show concrete Christian closeness to a martyred people and to favor peace. The Church, said the Archbishop, continues to offer humanitarian relief through the local Catholic charities of both the Latin and Eastern Rites. He said these efforts represent an embrace of charity and a sign that Pope Francis has not abandoned the people of Ukraine to their suffering. Everyone concluded Archbishop Gallagher has the duty to speak the truth and to promote every effort that could help to bring an end to the ongoing tragedy of war. I'm Devin Watkins. And the World Health Organization says the artificial sweetener aspartame could be, quote, possibly carcinogenic to humans. Trey Thomas reports. Aspartame is used as a sweetener in thousands of products, including diet sodas, sugar-free gum, reduced sugar condiments, and tabletop sweeteners like NutraSweet and Equal. On Thursday, the organization announced there is limited evidence that aspartame can cause cancer in humans. However, the WHO noted safety is not a major concern in the quantities most people consume. I'm Trey Thomas. Matt, this cracks me up so the limited quantities are not going to pose a risk why put out this statement at all just to get press i guess which i guess it worked i don't know um i figure you know other morning shows uh do a lot they deal a lot more in this Mm -hmm. like what's in your coffee could be killing you you know those kind of segments Mm -hmm. or this one thing in your kitchen could harm your pet or like that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It makes for clicks. We don't do clicks. I mean, we're a radio you program. Can, we have what stuff you, you can click? click on if you go to sunrisemorningshow.com. But like we're not in it to be like this one breakfast food can cure your cancer. That's not like. Well, a, I don't you know. know if I saw a story like that, I might run it. And that's why they do it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
Actually, the, what we usually hear alternately is like on a Monday, you'll get the story about like coffee proven. New study says that coffee can extend, you know, the life of, you know, people with diabetes by 10 years or something. The next thing they'll say, coffee proven in new study to be especially harmful for people with diabetes. Like it's just like a, I feel like they just put out studies. Well, you know, there's a lot of studying going on. I suppose so. I don't know. I'm not a clicker. Sometimes you will hear about it here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Not really sure what the purpose of this conversation was in the end. I don't know. Don't click just to click. Yeah. Well, that's that's a good lesson learned. This one food. Today is Friday, July the 14th. It is the Feast of St. Kateri, and we will talk more about her with Amy Wellborn later this hour. Right now, it's nine past. Happy to welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show, Scott Borchers, co-founder of Nazareth Revisited, online at NazarethRevisited.com. Scott, welcome back. Good morning, Annie. How are you doing? I am doing fine. Always happy to get to talk to you. And we're going to be discussing a recent blog post that you have up at Nazareth called Parents, Children, and Attachment. What got you thinking about this topic? Yeah, so... The main reason is is really what we're trying to do at Magic Revisit is to cultivate family peace. And a, a critical part of that is the topic of attachment, and specifically developing or improving the attachment we have with our children. It, it becomes a, an important path toward finding peace within the family. Um, and we've had a couple mini-courses this summer uh, discussing a couple different topics, and in each one of those mini-courses, we have focused uh, on the topic of attachment because it's so important. And um, for my part, you know, I, I focus on attachment from the psychological perspective because as parents, it's, it's helpful to get to know, you know, about attachment and how we can develop it with our kids. Sure. So before we get to the the psychological view of attachment um, in in our conversation right now, can you just give us a kind of a a, a bit of an, a definition of what we're talking about here? What is attachment? Yeah. So we focus specifically on attachment theory, and it's a psychological framework that was developed by a couple of psychologists, uh, John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth, in the 1950s and 60s. Um, interestingly, uh, Bowlby studied some, some or researched some studies uh, on the topic phenomenon of imprinting with ducks, baby ducks. And the idea is that as soon as a baby duck is born, it imprints or attaches to the first thing that it sees move. Hmm. And, um, and they do this because it's for protection and survival. Uh, and certainly, Bowlby then found parallels with infants, you know, and their parents. So... Um, but infants look to their parent and care or caregiver as, as soon as they're born for comfort and care. Um, attachment theory suggests that an infant's social and emotional development is largely determined by the responsiveness of the parent uh, to the infant's needs. Um, and, and he developed four different attachment types um, that result from the earliest interactions. The first being a secure attachment, and this is really what we want to, to, to develop as, as parents with our kids. Um, essentially, parents provide what is called a secure base and a safe haven 
for children and, you know, helping kids to uh, feel comforted when they're thre- they feel threatened or when they're frightened about something, allowing for their growth and independence as they get older because they know they can come back and have support and guidance. Um, the other three types of attachments are under an insecure attachment category, and those three insecure attachment types are anxious, avoidant, and disorganized. Um, in the blog, I, I discuss these attachments and what they entail uh, in more of an in-depth way. Wow. Okay. So first of all, I didn't realize how uh, much we were like baby ducks. Um, that's fascinating <laughs> in and of itself. But, you know, I mean, we don't need ducks to know, I don't think, just how important uh, that those early interactions are um, for a parent and child. I think we can just kind of, we can see that almost inherently, how important they are. But Scott, what if, you know, a parent listening right now is thinking back to those earliest moments with their children and and thinking, wow, um, they were not quite so perfect, not really all that great. Um, what What's a parent to do with that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Annie. And I think that, you know, we do know that these earliest interactions are extremely important for the child's development. Um, and I think that's exactly, as a parent, that's where my mind goes too, is that um, you know, none of us are perfect parents. And we're making mistakes pretty much every day, I think, at least I am, in our parenting journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we learn, what I know, what I've learned is, is that um, even when our attachment with our children isn't perfect, there are things that we can do every single day that help to improve it. Um, you know, one of the things I've learned in my clinical practice and just reading and talking with parents is that children are incredibly resilient and that... When, as parents, we start to do some of the things that allow for and enable secure attachment, if there are any uh, wounds of, you know, uh, insecure attachment, they can start to heal. And and in the blog, that's, you know, that's what I'm discussing. I discuss some practical tips for building secure attachment. Well, can you give us a little bit of a tease here? Tell us uh, maybe one of those tips that that you discuss in the blog post. Yeah, for sure. So one of the tips deals with the topic of praise. And, you know, sounds pretty simple, and it really is. Um, the, the idea that I describe is that we want to pay attention and praise our kids for the above and beyond good that they do. Um, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily praise them for brushing their teeth. Uh, although it I don't know. Part. Have yeah, you right? met my kids, Scott? <laughs> I, I, I put this there because... I, I think it seems to be incredibly hard for them to do. So yeah. maybe we should praise them for that. But it's more of an expectation, I guess. But you know, what we want to praise our kids for are the times where they're they're consoling their sibling when their sibling is sad or hurt, or you know, when our child cleans up in their bedroom when they haven't been asked to do so. You know, these are the times where um, you know this. What this really does is it shows our children that we're watching, we're noticing their effort. And the praise shows them just how much we appreciate it. So, you know, this is, I think, one example of a minor change in the way that we communicate with our kids that makes a huge difference in attachment over the long term. Good stuff. And you can get more tips 
over at NazarethRevisited.com. Just click on the blog to uh, check out Scott's post on parents, children, and attachment. And you can find Nazareth Revisited linked at SunriseMorningShow.com. Scott, it was good to talk to you. Thank you so much. You do the same. Thank you very much. All right, at 16 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show, we're back with headlines right after this. Support is from Solidarity Health Share. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity Health Share can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. What's stopping you from becoming a Catholic? Why can't women become priests? I don't understand why I have to earn salvation. How is it possible that God created everything? Why do I need to confess my sins to why a priest? Why is the Catholic Church so unwilling to recognize? The Catholic Church is too rich. Catholics worship Mary and our community. As far as I'm concerned, all religions are equal. You are called to communion with Dr. David Anders. Today, 2 p.m. Eastern, on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 18 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. The U.S. bishops have denounced the Food and Drug Administration's approval yesterday of an over-the-counter birth control pill. A divided House voted yesterday to end Department of Defense policies that pay for abortion, travel, and transgender surgeries for members of the military. And the Secret Service says it's unable to connect anyone with the cocaine that was discovered in the White House and is closing the investigation get like uh i don't know some of the british mystery people on that one let's get father they brown figure, on it they figure out everything eventually yeah anna mitchell i got a a question for you about prayer in the spiritual life oh. maybe you can give me some advice on this so okay. uh recently i finished a puzzle mm-hmm. um it's a puzzle it's just a bunch of rockets it's a nasa puzzle like the history of various rockets in okay, space. So you mean like an actual puzzle with pieces, not like puzzles, games, and teasers? Or brain teasers. No, yeah. no, no, okay. no. A puzzle, and I've got... Like uh, a jigsaw next... puzzle. Like a jigsaw puzzle. Okay. I should have said that. Yeah. A jigsaw puzzle. Got it. Thousand piece. Okay. Finish it up, and uh, next puzzle I want to do is a puzzle I recently got. Sophia Institute has like... Uh, Puzzles on the Mysteries of the Rosary, and I got the Fra Angelico Annunciation puzzle. I'm going to start that soon, but I want to know if putting together a puzzle, a thousand pieces, 
that is all centered around one particular gospel story from Luke chapter 1, would that count, or could it count, as a form of visio divina? Absolutely. Okay, that solves my problem. Especially if you, I mean, I wouldn't just make that my only prayer time of the day, but absolutely, I think uh, that is a good use of your time. Well, I mean, I know it's a good use of my time. I know it's better than watching dumb garbage on uh, television. I think you can make anything YouTube. prayerful. Well, I mean, yeah, of course. I'm just curious about it's the all Visio about... Divina, like technically speaking. Oh, of course. All right. You're looking at a, the Annunciation? That's awesome. I didn't know Sophia was doing these puzzles. I'm just looking at them online. Very you find cool. Them? Yeah. Did you find them? There's some cool ones. The Annunciation is... Uh, Ooh, I like the presentation one. It's an easy fave. Neat. There you go. We'll see how long it takes me. I'll try and post pictures. Let me know. Progress. Yeah. It's 21 past. Fabulous tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Father Don Trannell of the Glen Mary Home Missioners. Please join me in praying a Glen Mary Community Mission Prayer. O loving Father, may your spirit guide our missionary service. Like Jesus, may we proclaim the reign of God is at hand. Like Peter, may we fall on our knees at the sight of your great catch. Like Paul, may we strive to share the gospel with all people. Like Isaac Jobs and companions, may we willingly sacrifice our lives in service to the people of rural America. O creator of all, give us the courage to leave the 99 and go after the lost one. Grant us the joy to rejoice over the found one. Compel us to care for the victims we find along the road. Move us to embrace the prodigals returning home. We ask this through your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's 23 minutes past the hour, and you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us. Happy to welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show Dr. Chad Pecknold. He's a professor at Catholic University of America. He writes at Post Liberal Order Substack. And uh, you might have a few more minutes, if you haven't already, to register for his free course on Catholic Political Thought, Modernity, and the Common Good with the Institute of Catholic Culture. Dr. Pecknold, welcome back. Excited to be back with you, Annie. I'm excited to have you. So the French are celebrating Bastille Day today, July 14th, an Independence Day of sorts, I guess you could say. 
It would open the French Revolution, which would eventually lead to the beheading of King Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette, bringing in the reign of terror, of course. What effect did the French Revolution have in the development of Catholic political thought? Well, of course, uh, you know, the the most famous Catholic response to the French Revolution was uh, Joseph de Mestre, um, who who viewed it as a kind of a natural development of the Enlightenment. Um, the Enlightenment set up man as the measure of all things, uh, and as soon as you set up man as the measure of all things, uh, what sort of political society are you going to create? Well, you're going to create a society that's closed in on itself. You're going to you're going to create a society which is closed to God, uh, and that's that's the basic Catholic response to the French Revolution is that that this is a godless revolution, this is a revolution that is against the Church, and indeed it does become a, a, a revolution which, you know, uh, it, it initially utilizes the weakness of the Gallican Church, of a nationalized Church uh, that has lost its bearings from Rome, and, uh, and so the, all the popes uh, are, are one in their negative assessment of the French Revolution, and of course, Conservatives generally use Bastille Day as a way of, you know, trotting out all of their objections to, uh, to the the French Revolution, which of course has its its correspondent in the American Revolution. So when we celebrate Bastille Day, um, and we can't help but analogize it to our own Independence Day. You even did that right from the beginning there. So, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, it's. As you say, it's a different kind of revolution that led to incredible terror and then eventually to restoration. Uh, people forget that, you know, after after the French Revolution by 1814, you 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 were trying, France was trying to go back because it was so terrible. Uh, the the French Revolution was was really really bad for France. <laughs> yeah, I was going to uh, ask, would you call it? I was I was you know doing some research around the internet and there's this France diplomacy site that called this uh, an uprising of the people. Was this a popular uprising? In in a way it was. In a way it was in that uh, someone once said that uh, it's not the men who make the revolution, but the revolution who who make the men. Mm -hmm. The, The ideas of the Enlightenment uh, really stress popular sovereignty. They really stress that all power comes from the people. It doesn't come from God. And, uh, and in a sense, they took an old medieval phrase, vox populi, vox dei, um, hmm. to, to mean that the people are God. The people, the, the demos is the God who rules. And, and that idea grips people in, in a way... You still see today the way France, you, we've probably seen videos of France gripped by protests, by people running through the streets, by police fighting people in the streets. That protest culture is a direct result of ideas, of, of Enlightenment ideals about um, the sovereignty of people to determine their fate. Um, and and so that idea, I think, gripped in a particularly revolutionary way so that so that organic ideas of society and order and constitution um, were were no longer sovereign, 
but simply the choice of the people, the whims of the people could determine the future. So in that sense, it was an uprising that was built both on on popular dissent um, uh, and and the ideas which which gave rise to them. Now, it, it's the it's the popular dissent came from the cities, not from the uh, not from the upper classes, not from uh, not from the the noble class, rather, but uh, and not from the agrarian classes, but from uh, philosophers in the city who were taken with uh, uh, enlightenment ideas and uh, helped foment uh, a popular revolt. Will this be a uh, topic covered in Catholic political thought at the ICC? Well, we'll certainly go through it in because the 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 course on Catholic political thought is going to focus primarily on papal teachings, and so we'll get it through uh, various teachings. All the popes condemned, of course, the revolution in France. Um, uh, more nuanced uh, views of the of the American Revolution, of course. Uh, praising uh, Pope Leo praises the the virtues of George Washington, for example, um, and more much more negative assessment. Uh, so we will touch upon uh, the French Revolution. We'll touch upon the origins of liberalism, the contrast between American liberalism and French liberalism, uh, all through the teachings of the popes in this great course, which you just have a couple hours, maybe an hour to still sign up for it. Yeah, so exactly. It. it officially closed last night, but I happen to have an insider uh, tip that registration is still open at the moment. So you can go get in instituteofcatholicculture.org and find the uh, slide for Catholic Political Thought 102, and you can get registered right here at the last minute. Dr. Pecknold, thank totally. you so much totally free and if you don't do it you can't even change your mind you you got to <laughs> do it in order to even have the option to watch so. exactly exactly just get in and get registered and then you can even watch the recordings if you can't join us live on thursday nights dr pecknold it was good to talk to you thank you thanks annie take care you too thanks all right it's half past the hour now on the sunrise morning show it's time for news the U.S. bishops are denouncing the Food and Drug Administration's approval yesterday of an over-the-counter birth control pill. The Dublin-based manufacturer has said that Opil will likely be available for purchase in the United States next year. It'll mark the first time hormonal contraception is available in the U.S. without a prescription. Bishop Robert Barron released a statement saying, quote, This action by the government and entity flies in the face of responsible medical practice and concerns for women's health. He said, allowing this hormonal contraception to be dispensed over the counter without the supervision of a doctor and contrary to the mounting evidence of many harmful side effects violates the Hippocratic Oath by putting the health of women at grave risk. The Secret Service says it's unable to connect anyone with the cocaine that was discovered in the White House and is closing its investigation. Mark Mayfield reports. The law enforcement agency said it was unable to single out a person of interest from the hundreds of individuals who passed through the West Executive Avenue entrance where the cocaine was discovered. Testing failed to reveal sufficient DNA or fingerprint evidence, and surveillance camera footage was reviewed but produced no leads. A Secret Service officer spotted the small plastic baggie on July the 2nd in a storage cubby used to temporarily store electronic and personal devices. 
I'm Mark Mayfield. A divided House voted yesterday to end Department of Defense policies that pay for abortion travel and for transgender surgeries for members of the military. These were two amendments that passed on a nearly party-line basis in the National Defense Authorization Act, which sets the military's budget for the next fiscal year. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds will sign a heartbeat bill today. The bill passed Tuesday and will prohibit abortion after the detection of a fetal heartbeat. Current Iowa law allows abortion up to 20 weeks. The Republican governor says she will sign the measure into law today at the Family Leadership Summit. Abortion providers and the ACLU have already promised legal challenges. The prefect of the Dicastery for Culture and Education has spoken at a colloquium on the future of Catholic universities, saying Catholic universities must embrace AI with creativity. From Vatican Radio, Francesca Merlo reports. The event, entitled Renewal and Awareness, Thinking about the Future of Catholic Universities, was organized by the Strategic Alliance of Catholic Research Universities and took place at the Catholic University of the Sacred Heart in Milan. Cardinal Jose Tolentino de Mendoza emphasized the need for Catholic universities to lead in innovation and engage with emerging trends. He stressed the importance of dialogue, addressing contemporary challenges and fostering continuous renewal based on awareness. Drawing on Pope Francis' remarks on artificial intelligence, Cardinal de Mendoza encouraged universities to fearlessly embrace AI and digital technologies while considering ethical implications. Prioritizing individual well-being and upholding moral values were key principles he emphasized. Regarding the anthropological implications of AI, Cardinal de Mendoza highlighted the importance of a holistic approach that centers on the human person. He advocated for investing in the formation of individuals, nurturing their cognitive, creative, spiritual and ethical potential. The Cardinal also highlighted the importance of universities engaging with society and fostering encounters among diverse cultures. Creative intelligence and discernment rooted in strong values were identified as essential qualities. Concerns were raised about the rapid pace of technological advancement, emphasizing the need for fairness, confidentiality and data verification. However, participants agreed that AI has the potential to contribute to sustainable societies and introduce new professions. The outcomes of the colloquium will be summarized in a public document that addresses the intersection of AI and the values upheld by Catholic universities. As the International Federation of Catholic Universities approaches its centenary next year, this gathering provided valuable insights on effectively incorporating AI into university practices and contributing to a better future. I am Francesca Merlo. A brutal heat wave continues to roast much of the southern United States set to break place break records in places like California, Texas, and Florida. Heat warnings and advisories are in effect for millions of people. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 pack. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. 
Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, From whom does the church derive its undying life and infallible authority? The church derives its undying life and infallible authority from the Holy Spirit. It is the spirit of truth who abides with it forever. Just as a physical body is animated by a spiritual soul, so similarly the mystical body of Christ is animated by the Holy Spirit. Through the men who have been placed as successors to the apostles, the Holy Spirit moves and helps to ensure that the church will always remain one, will be guided by the truth, will be led to holiness. And so the church then is made Catholic by the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of your faithful in the church so that we might participate in the undying life of Christ who rose from the dead and gives his authority to those who reign in his church. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. Sunrise Morning Show continues. It is the feast of St. Kateri Tekawitha on July 14th. And here to talk about St. Kateri with us is Amy Wellborn. You can find her blog, Charlotte Was Both. Uh, you can find amywellborn.com for good information and also lots and lots of kids' books about saints, including the Loyola Kids' Book of Saints. Amy, welcome back. Thank you. It's great to be here. So for the basic bi- biographical profile of Kateri, uh, tell us sort of the when and the where and the how uh, of her story. Yeah, well, and you know, she's obviously a North American, Native uh, American saint, and born in 1656. Her mother was Algonquin, her father was Mohawk, and her kind of nickname is the Lily of the Mohawks. And she was born in northern New York, and not into a Christian tribe or anything like that. And then when she was four years old, tragedy struck her community in the form of smallpox, of course, brought by the Europeans. And in that ravaging uh, epidemic, both of her parents and her brother died. She survived. She was disfigured because of it. Her eyesight was impacted, and her skin was impacted as smallpox victims skin often is. Um, And so at that point, um, she was sent to live with an uncle, still in the area, not far, in in northern New York. And she lived there, was known for her hard work, uh, even despite her suffering and so on. And then when she was in her late teens, the Black Robes, as was the nickname for the Jesuits, missionaries, came to her village and she was intrigued by what they said about Jesus, uh, intrigued by their witness, and eventually converted. It, there was a lot of resistance in the community. There was a lot of negativity about Christianity. So it wasn't like there was a mass movement to convert. She was basically alone in this. And after her baptism, she endured a lot of suffering, a lot of persecution from the others in her community, and eventually ended up moving to a mission, to a Jesuit mission, 
up in Canada, now Canada, across the river from Montreal, and which is where she lived for the next couple of years uh, until she died in 1680. So she was only 24 when she died. Yeah, she's got an incredible story for so many reasons. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one of the things that I'm always struck by is how uh, isolated she was in, in her conversion. You know, sometimes you'll hear about uh, someone who uh, has a, a major conversion. We were talking about Blessed Peter Torat recently, you know, and right. how, you know, and it, the, the chief converted and essentially the entire tribe converted and everybody's, you yeah. know, now part of the faith. Not so for Kateri. And maybe even a deeper sense of betrayal among her loved ones because they're thinking, why would you join this, pe- this people who just gave us a disease and eradicated our tribe? Obviously, yeah. I mean, that that's a very, very good point. And I think that's one of the aspects of her story that is very inspiring and humbling, and that we talk a lot about trying to create a Catholic culture and how important it is to, especially for children and people, quote, young in the faith, to be surrounded by a Catholic culture. Well, you know, that, that's a great, beautiful, and important thing. But as Christians throughout history, including St. Kateri, have shown us, it's not the essence of the faith. And, in fact, there's great heroism in being faithful to Christ and knowing the love of Christ, as you point out, almost in solitude and in the face of great opposition and in this sense of, wow, what you're doing and this belief that you have is a betrayal. And, you know, we can maybe take it to today and you know, in many circumstances, in many communities, in many areas of life, being Christian is seen as being a betrayal, you know, a betrayal of modern values, a betrayal of contemporary social mores and so on, of even of compassionate, you know, quote, compassionate um, contemporary social mores. And so it, it, she's a great witness to us of focusing on what's important and you know, un, you know, listening to Christ in the Gospels when he says, you know, I will always be with you, and believing it and living it. Well, this is one of the reasons that St. Kateri's witness is so powerful uh, and the work that we do with the Coming Home Network, because the things you just mentioned, uh, they're not theoretical yeah. uh, abstractions. This is—I run into this every day uh, with sure. people who feel like they've betrayed their entire congregation as a pastor. Uh, right, right by exploring the church or or people whose parents used to be Catholic and left the church really, really angry, and right. now they are betraying their parents by joining the church. I mean, St. Kateri is right. such a powerful model of follow the truth uh, where it leads. And That's at, right. At, even at sometimes great personal cost. Absolutely. And I really also like what um, Pope Benedict said in the homily for her canonization. And I think it's also interesting to note, you know, people who are Catholic today and maybe have a short historical memory are used to kind of quick canonization processes, you know, uh, of popes that you even remember being alive, like John Paul II being canonized saints. Well, of course, traditionally and historically, the canonization process is pretty lengthy. Um, And, you know, St. Kateri's uh, cause was first introduced by American bishops in 1884, but she wasn't canonized until 2012. And at her canonization mass, and she wasn't the only one, there were six others being canonized at that mass, uh, Benedict said something that I just think is so beautiful. 
He said, Kateri impresses us by the action of grace in her life, in spite of the absence of external help and by the courage of her vocation, so unusual in her culture. In her, faith and culture enrich each other. And here's the key. It's very simple. May her example help us to live where we are, loving Jesus without denying who we are. May her example help us to live where we are, loving Jesus without denying who we are. And I think that's another aspect of her story that's important. You know, in a way, she was a martyr, you know, because she did suffer. Her death was not a martyr's death. She died of illness. And so her sanctity, where is her sanctity? Her sanctity is in her courage and her singular courage in continuing to follow Jesus despite opposition. But it's also in her faithful, daily, quiet witness of love, of humility, of, you know, she was known while she was alive for the way she served others, the way she helped, the way she, you know, embodied Jesus's call to love in her actions towards the people of her community, even those who, you know, may have disagreed with her decision and opposed her decision before she moved. And so, you know, it's that witness of, no, yes, Converting to Christ is a big deal. It's the biggest deal of your life, but it is manifest and lived out in quiet, humble ways. And that's the, those are the first steps in the road to holiness, and that's one of the other reasons why Kateri is a saint. Well, thank you so much, Amy Wellborn. You know, Amy's got so many great resources on the saints, uh, especially resources for your kids, um, if you're looking for great kids books about saints uh, check out amy's stuff we got her linked at sunrise morning show.com saint kateri tekawitha pray for us we're going to look ahead to the sunday mass readings with father jonathan duncan from the diocese of charleston coming up next plus headlines with anna mitchell it's a quarter till support is from solidarity health share do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything even things that violate your beliefs Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. EWTN is available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. If your cable or satellite provider doesn't carry EWTN's full programming lineup, give them a call and let them know you would like to receive EWTN 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. For more information, go to EWTN.com and click on Television. 
13 till. Here's Anna with headlines. The U.S. bishops have denounced the Food and Drug Administration's approval yesterday of an over-the-counter birth control pill with Bishop Robert Barron saying this violates the Hippocratic Oath by putting the health of women at grave risk. A divided House voted yesterday to end Department of Defense policies that pay for abortion travel and transgender surgeries for members of the military. And a brutal heat wave continues to roast much of the southern U.S. today. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Jonathan Duncan from the Diocese of Charleston, who joins us each week around this time to take a look at the readings for Mass, Sunday Mass, so we can go in, uh, have a little bit of a background, and not just hear them for the first time, you know, in our uh, Sunday morning fog. Father, good morning. Good morning, Matt. So I, I have kind of an overall question before we dive into the readings themselves. So in uh, the Sunday Mass readings, we'll be hearing uh, for the 15th Sunday in Ordinary Time, the uh, story in Matthew's Gospel of Jesus telling this uh, parable of the sower and the seeds. Now, there's a longer option and a shorter option. Uh, do you have a rule, generally speaking, for when you've got the long version and the short version, which one you go with, or do you play it by ear based on the text? You know, typically, we just in our parish, we, we include the entire lesson. So I guess it's the, it's the longer option. Um, so, you know, you can see kind of the, the congregation just beginning to kind of like brace themselves when it's going to be a long gospel. Well, normally that'd be a problem, but it's actually not a problem for this Sunday's gospel, because in the short version, Jesus tells the parable of the sower and the seed. In the long version, Jesus tells the parable of the sower and the seed. The disciples ask him what the parable's about, and he goes on to explain what the parable of the sower and the seed is about. So if you do the long version, essentially, Jesus has done a a whole lot of the heavy lifting of your homily for you. That's true. That's true. There's not really much to explain. Um, It is helpful. Uh, You know, this, this I think, is is such a great parable. Um, And I'll tell you who this parable is, is really for. We know, and, and we have these folks within our own families, I'm sure, uh, we know so many people who say, you know, I, I brought all my kids up in the faith, and now they've left, or my grandkids have left, or, you know, me and all my brothers and sisters, we were brought up faithfully, going to Mass, taught our faith, parents who really lived the faith, and now no one practices but me. That, that mystery of why is it that some get the same education, the same formation, the same teaching, the same example, and it's rejected, and others, it, it's that mystery of, in theological terms, that sort of mystery of election, that mystery. Um, and this parable unpacks a little bit of that, and it, and it shows us that the reason the seed of the gospel does not take root. It's not because it's a, it's a failure of the gospel or a failure of Christ. It's because of really two things that we see within the parable. One, the seeming, and I, I say that, seeming failure of the seed is more to do with the generosity of the sower, first, 
So we see that the that the sower is casting the seed out lavishly, casting it out recklessly, you could say, throwing it to places where he very well knows it's not going to take root. So that's the first thing. The gospel is preached and proclaimed to everyone, even though the Lord knows there are going to be people who will not accept it, places where the seed will just not take root. And the other thing that makes it uh, look like a, a seeming failure is the nature of what the seed requires, which is this. It requires to go down deep. It requires uh, freedom. It requires to be accepted with freedom. And it requires to go down deep into the soil. And that requirement means that it's not just, it can't be as simple as, well, I'm taught this, I believe this, end of the story. If, and I often, I often tell people this, you know, if the gospel were simply a matter of these are a series of facts, of information, and if I could just teach, you know, like times tables, if I could just teach them to my kid, then they'll know them and then they'll be able to teach them to others. If that's what the gospel was, there would be nothing miraculous about it. There would be nothing wondrous. It, it would just be a thing that parents could teach their kids and could teach to their kids and could teach to their kids. But because all throughout the Scriptures we're told that this gospel is something mysterious, it's something like leaven that's sort of hidden and yet powerful, it's something like seeds that are sort of hidden and yet powerful, it can't simply be communicated like, like, uh, like times tables that just get passed on from, from teacher to student to teacher to student. So... This should be, um, you know, this, this gospel, this parable, is for all of us who've struggled with that question of, what about my kids? What about my grandkids? What about my siblings? Why is it that the gospel seems like it has failed sometimes? Well, you know, and it seems course, to me also uh, that, that some of this, I mean, in, in, I mean, you could stretch the analogy to all kinds of different places, but... Um, you know the seed that's sown among thorns, right? Is is the kind that grows up fast, and then it uh, gets choked out, right? Um, but if you're a a farmer and you have some access to improve the soil, you can get rid of those thorns and hit that same soil, right? And maybe maybe it, you get a, a better and more generous return. And so, I mean, I think that there's also kind of a pushback against maybe a Calvinist view here that would say, well, once thorns, always thorns, you know, once rocky, always rocky, and 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 that there's nothing you can do about it. But the, the sower still goes to those places. The sower still is reaching out with that seed. Uh, you know, the sower has a, has a wild generosity with the seeds, and it's not just going to say, I'm only going to sow things on the rich soil. It's kind of a fascinating thing to reflect upon. No, he's, you know, he, he scatters his word generously, and he scatters um, his truth generously, and that's that should be uh, a corrective to those of us who want to say, well, you know, I'm not going to, um, you know, I'm not going to worry about going to evangelize. I'm not going to worry about uh, trying to to bring the truth to this person over here, because how could they possibly ever, you know, come to believe? And yet, you know, how could someone like uh, like Saul of Tarsus, who's a persecutor of Christians, you know, how could he ever actually come to believe the gospel? And yet, 
the truth is the Word of God has been scattered lavishly to places because in the mystery of election, there are some who are going to call and, and are going to respond. There's some where the seed is going to go deep that seemed like bad soil, just like you said, seemed like the area had too many thorns, seemed like the soil was, was not good enough, and yet the gospel ends up going deep and bearing fruit. And that's a beautiful thing, and it confounds our sort of human calculations. And I think that's what's helpful about this parable. Well, then you also have weird situations if you're a gardener where this year I've planted wildflowers in a little chunk uh, of a garden that I had gotten in the community garden near our neighborhood. And uh, in the wildflowers, I was like, this doesn't look like a wildflower. And up came like a beet. And I was like, I planted beets in this spot last year and none of them came up. Why is this coming up this year? <laughs> you just never Isn't know. the man. whole point of wildflowers that you don't plant them? Well, you know I'm what? Anna sure. Mitchell and I had this whole conversation earlier this week. My goodness. This is why you need to read the Bible and have a garden, and everything will make more sense. Father uh, John, Jonathan Duncan, have a great day. That wraps it up for the Sunrise Morning Show. Thank you for being with us on a Friday. We'll talk to you again on a Monday. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace. It is Friday, the 14th of July, the Feast of St. Kateri Tekawitha. Let's pray together in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for all who preach the Word of God in lands far from home. Make eloquent their tongues and faithful their lives. We pray for all who are drawn to accept the Gospel. Sign them with the sign of the cross and confirm them in faith. We pray for those who are fearful of conversion because of its price. Grant them the courage to choose you regardless of the cost. We pray for those who have chosen a life of virginity for the sake of Christ. Keep them faithful to their commitment. O God of all nations, you called St. Kateri to a life of prayer, to be a courageous witness in Jesus Christ. Through her example and intercession, inspire many young men and women to follow your Son, even when he leads them away from familiar surroundings by the beauty of the gospel. We ask this through Christ our Lord. St. Kateri Tekakwitha, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. We are glad that you're with us here on a Friday, and uh, we're also kind of glad it's a Friday. I don't know about you, but uh, we could use a weekend around here, uh, and luckily we've got one coming. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. We'll talk to Stephanie Mann from Supremacy and Survival, Mementos of St. Thomas More this morning. Uh, in addition to being the Feast of St. Kateri, um, if you're French, you may notice that it is also Bastille Day, and we'll talk about that with Dr. Matthew Bunsen and uh, why Catholics should care about what happened at the Bastille. Ken Craycraft will discuss the Postal Service Worker Sabbath case at the Supreme Court and its implications for religious liberty in general. And then we'll look ahead to the Sunday Mass readings with Father Hezekiah Carnazzo from the Institute of Catholic Culture. So... Stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. 
Good morning. In Washington, a divided House voted yesterday to end a Department of Defense policy that pays for abortion travel and transgender surgeries for members of the military. These were two amendments that passed on a nearly party line basis in the National Defense Authorization Act, which sets the military's budget for the next fiscal year. The Senate will have its own version, which then must be reconciled and signed by President Biden. Meanwhile, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds will sign a heartbeat bill today. The bill passed Tuesday and will prohibit abortion after the detection of a fetal heartbeat. Current Iowa law allows for abortion up to 20 weeks. The Republican governor says she will sign the measure into law today at the Family Leadership Summit. A brutal heat wave continues to roast much of the southern United States, including places like California, Texas, and Florida. More from Mark Mayfield. In Death Valley, California, temperatures could potentially reach 130 degrees this weekend, which would match the highest temperature ever reliably recorded on Earth. Heat warnings and advisories are in effect for millions of people. In Phoenix, the high temperatures have been over 110 degrees for nearly two weeks, with no end in sight. In El Paso and Miami, the highs have been over 100 degrees for nearly a month. I'm Mark Mayfield. Hollywood is going dark as film and television production grinds to a halt. The union, representing 160,000 actors, is going on strike, joining the screenwriters who have been on strike for nearly two and a half months. The biggest entertainment shutdown in decades means that all work covered by SAG actors must stop, as well as film and television productions shutting down. Actors will be hitting the picket lines later today. The World Health Organization says the artificial sweetener aspartame could be possibly carcinogenic to humans. Aspartame is used as a sweetener in thousands of products, including diet sodas and sugar-free gum, reduced sugar condiments, and tabletop sweeteners. On Thursday, the organization announced there is limited evidence that aspartame can cause cancer in humans. However, the WHO noted, quote, safety is not a major concern in the quantities that most people consume. The Vatican's Secretary for Relations with States has spoken on the Pope's efforts for peace in Ukraine at a presentation for a new book entitled Ukrainian Lessons. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. Archbishop Paul Richard Gallagher illustrated the position taken by the Holy Father regarding the war in Ukraine and the interpretation given to his words and gestures. The Vatican Secretary for Relations with States and International Organizations noted that the Pope's words in favor of peace have at times been received with disappointment in Kiev. He said such an interpretation fails to do justice to the Pope's intentions who refuses to resign himself to war. Archbishop Gallagher said the Pope is not offering acts of empty passivism or pious wishful thinking. What motivates the Holy Father, he said, is his desire to make dialogue and peace possible, inspired by the principle that the Church should not use the language of politics but the language of Jesus. Archbishop Gallagher added that the Pope's gestures and words are not the expressions of a mere rhetoric of peace but of a strong and courageous prophecy of peace which challenges the reality of war and its supposed inevitability. He recalled how the Apostolic Nuncio has remained in the Ukrainian capital as a way to show concrete Christian closeness to a martyred people and to favor peace. The Church, said the Archbishop, continues to offer humanitarian relief through the local Catholic charities of both the Latin and Eastern Rites. 
He said these efforts represent an embrace of charity and a sign that Pope Francis has not abandoned the people of Ukraine to their suffering. Everyone concluded Archbishop Gallagher has the duty to speak the truth and to promote every effort that could help to bring an end to the ongoing tragedy of war. I'm Devin Watkins. And Major League Baseball is officially releasing its 2024 schedule. The league announced yesterday that all teams will play on March 28th, a week after the Los Angeles Dodgers and San Diego Padres square off in a two-game set in Seoul, South Korea. Another pair of two-game series taking place outside of the United States include the Houston Astros against the Colorado Rockies battling in Mexico City on April 27th and the New York Mets facing off against the Philadelphia Phillies in London on June 8th. Meanwhile, the St. Louis Cardinals and San Francisco Giants will play in Birmingham on June 20th as a tribute to the Negro Leagues and Willie Mays. The All-Star Game will take place at Globe Life Field in Arlington on July 16th, while the final games of the season will be played on September 29th. All right. Well, I mean, I guess. Uh, what do you think? Have a World Seoul, Series. South Korea, Seoul, Mexico that'll be, that'll City, be packed. Actually, and those, London. Those will be both be packed. The London people will be like uh, amused, but probably not. I don't know. We asked Joseph Pierce about this, and he said yeah. that they'll. If you build it, they will come. I'm, I think so. But Mexico. He didn't and, use those words, but. That's essentially and what he South was saying. South Korea, I mean, those are going to be big ones. Mm-hmm. Baseball's huge. Both of those places. Mm-hmm. It's true. I mean, I'd go. I would go. That'd be a fun... If I if I lived there. Yeah, it would be a fun, like, vacation to take. Yeah. yeah. We should just, uh, you know, pitch major leagues. You know, why don't you do, like, uh, I don't know, the Cardinals and the Padres at Vatican City... Oh, neat. And then we could do a Sunrise Morning Show pilgrimage over there. And go to the baseball game while we're there. Right. I'd be saying go Padres. Baseball at the Coliseum. We could work. We could make it happen. Just Paul so you know, liked when that. Say, he thinks you're funny. The Padres we, and the Cardinals. When we say news, weather, sports, and more, just so you know, is what we mean by sports. It's yeah, nine Matt making past- ridiculous <laughs> jokes about Padres and Cardinals. Whatever, I'm not the first one to make that joke, and you know it. I know. It's night past. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Stephanie Mann. She's author of Supremacy and Survival, How Catholics Endured the English Reformation. She's got a blog of the same name. We've been going through a book of English martyrs together, and today we get to talk more about Thomas More. Stephanie, good morning. <laughs> good morning, Matt. It's always good to talk more about more. Indeed it is. So first of all, discuss in your post about this, you talk about mementos of St. Thomas More. Yes. What are we meaning by mementos in this particular case? In this case, we're looking at the actual, his actual decollation, his, his beheading on the scaffold on July 6, 1535. So Father Bowden didn't surround his feast uh, or his the date of his execution with mementos the way that he did St. John Fisher. There's just a few mentions of of Thomas More around the, the date of his uh, actual execution. But this focuses on his behavior, on his uh, mounting the scaffold and preparing to be beheaded on that uh, 9 a, at 9 a.m. on a summer's day in London outside the tower. 
And from this account we get, and there's some other accounts that uh, that share this as well, the exchange between Moore yeah. and his executioner, which is absolutely fascinating and I think gives you such a window into who Thomas Moore was. Yes. the In fact, the, the chronicler that this is usually attributed to Edward Hall says, I don't know how we should think of him. Is he a wise fool or is, a, is he a foolish wise man? Because Moore, even as he's facing death, and it is a death by beheading rather than being hanged, drawn, and quartered, is still kind of cracking jokes. He's making light of a, in a way, you'd say, of a, well, a deadly, a mortal situation. Uh, first, uh, There's his first little jest when he is so weak and the scaffold steps are a little wobbly. He asks for help to get up the scaffold. and He says, I think I'll be able to take care of myself on the way down. And then to his executioner, he tells the man, do your do your duty. I, I forgive you. Thank you, in fact. And then says, "And but remember, my neck is very short. So aim well so you don't hurt your own reputation. <laughs> because beheading, although it, it is more merciful than other forms of execution at the time, could still be fraught with danger. If the, if the executioner misses and chops the back of your shoulders or whacks you a few times before he actually separates your head from your body it could be horribly excruciatingly painful and to stay with your head on the block while you're being tortured in this way could be difficult too so that that little warning you know do your job and aim well and uh, don't uh, don't mess this up because it uh, will be bad for me. It'll be worse for, and maybe worse for you because it's bad yeah, for your reputation. Yeah, they want to mess up his Yelp reviews, you know. I mean, come on. I mean, right. the fact that, that Thomas Moore is keeping this sort of spirit, you know, you can't have that kind of spirit about you in a moment like that unless you are a person at peace with, uh, you know, yes. the ultimate and end. I, think, I mean, and that's, that's the, I think that's really yes. the message of this exchange. Yes. As, as I point out in my post, that's also, you know, what St. John Fisher de- depicted on his execution day in a different way because it was more in line with his character to be more serious and pious and, and uh, in a way, learned. And Thomas More has always been known, was always known throughout his life for his ability to jest, to uh, see the humor even in horrible things, which I think many of us do. I mean, I I can remember, when, sometimes maybe not in the moment, but often we look back at events that were very tense and frightening, and we see the, the humor in it, but he's seen the humor in the midst of it. And I think that is, it's his character, and it's the fact that he is at peace. He is, he is prepared. He's been prepared for this day, the day of his execution, since the day he went into the Tower of London. He said that often, during times when he was being questioned or even asked why he couldn't uh, just do what everyone else had done. He said, I'm not thinking about worldly things anymore. I've been meditating on the passion of Christ. I'm preparing myself for death, and therefore I don't have these worldly cares anymore. And I think that's what he's saying again, like you say, on the scaffold as he faces this moment of truth, this moment of death and and life. uh great line of you know where he his he's face down on the block and his beard is tucked under the block and how he flips it out from underneath and says you know my beard has committed no treason you know i mean what a what a line what a thought but you know again this this whole story of the martyrs and 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 thomas more preparing for his great day and, and you've talked about uh you know other accounts about some of these men going to their martyrdom as though they were going to their own wedding feast 
Well, that's what he says about the Carthusians when he sees them uh, going out to their deaths uh, a month before his, saying that, look, or, or on May 4th, two months before his, saying to his daughter Margaret, look at them, they're going like they're going to their, their bridegroom, their bridegrooms going to, to their wedding day. Because uh, I think these martyrs had been thinking, had their heads on straight. <laughs> Strange thing to say when you're going to lose it. They had their heads on straight because they knew where their true home was and they knew what their true goal was. And that was their true home is heaven. And their true goal was to be faithful to God so that they may earn heaven, you know, merit heaven and uh, receive the graces to be prepared for these deaths and to uh, then soon be with heaven in heaven with God, whom they tried to serve the best they could. Well, I mean, it's that is the supreme irony of it all, right? That these were the ones who sort yes. of kept their heads. Uh, you know, the only ones yes. who kept their heads. Uh, in the well, everyone else were the ones who were, you know, were losing them. But you know, the, you mentioned all this prayer and reflection that Thomas More did uh, heading up to the scaffold. Uh, do we know what specifically he prayed? We well, we know that ma- mainly as he well, you know, we know he prayed the Miserere Psalm when he was on the scaffold. Uh, be merciful to me, O God, a sinner, the Psalm 50. So we know that he prayed that Psalm, but his main meditation before that had been on the uh, passion of Christ. And he also has a beautiful prayer that he wrote right after his execution, in which he, again, well, there's actually a, a couple of his prayers where he, one, where he kind of take, makes a, I guess you'd almost say a, a, a an examination of conscience and praise for forgiveness for all his sins and praise for all his enemies, praise for all his friends, praise for his family and goes through a litany like that. And then there's also the great prayer that he says that he wants to set the world at naught and think of higher things. And and there's even that wonderful line where he says, and I should think my worst enemies, my best friends. And even has the scriptural reference. He says, for the brothers of Joseph did him better good than they knew when they, he sent, they sent him into exile into Egypt. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie Mann. Really appreciate you this morning. You can find Supremacy and Survival linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Got headlines coming up next. It's 17 minutes past the hour. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. 
when you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for Wings, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the Wings link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your Wings today. 19 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. The U.S. bishops have denounced the Food and Drug Administration's approval yesterday for the first time of an over-the-counter birth control pill. A divided House voted yesterday to end Department of Defense policies that pay for abortion travel and for transgender surgeries for members of the military. And a brutal heat wave continues to roast much of the southern United States. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And Anna Mitchell, uh, coming up next hour, we get to talk more about today's great saint, an American original, right? Mm -hmm. It's always great when we get an American on the calendar. Absolutely. And uh, we'll talk to Amy Wellborn about St. Kateri Tekakwitha on And she has some amazing thoughts on St. Kateri. Amy's Amy's a great person to talk about any saints. Well, that's true. Um, You're so right. But, you know, I was at a Catholic family camp, and, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who kind of are JP2 generation people mm-hmm. there, which if, you, um, if you're hanging out with JP2 generation people, their kids, there's a 90% chance if they've got any male children, one of them is going to be named John Paul. Mm-hmm. And I'd say there's an equal percentage chance that if they've got any female children, one of them is probably going to be named Kateri. Interesting. I mean, I don't know if that's. Scientific, I know. I know. Of but I know a lot people. of them. I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people with John Pauls. I know two with Kateri's. Well, oh, Danielle well, Bean's me... daughter is Katery, but yeah, that's still. Danielle's the weird one because she named it the you know with a different pronunciation. But I don't know I mean, what the official pronunciation of her name is. Is it Kateri, or I don't know. is Katery more? Danielle. <laughs> it's 21 past. Season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. To the most precious blood of Jesus Christ, Almighty and Eternal Father, The magnitude of your love for us is reflected fully in the gift of your only begotten Son to humanity. 
He is not only equal to you, but one with you. We are indebted to you, and it stares us in the face. Obviously, we cannot pay you commensurately. But we are asking for your grace while demonstrating our willingness to love you in this adoration. We appreciate your benevolence and solicit your continued loving kindness in helping us to put forth a more satisfying gesture of love and gratefulness through a change of our lives for the better. May the Holy Archangel Michael and your hosts of angels and saints join us and lead us closer to you through this adoration. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Sunrise Morning Show continues, and Dr. Matthew Bunsen is joining us again. He's Vice President and Editorial Director for EWTN News. Good morning, Doc. Good morning. Good to be with you. Now, here in the United States, we celebrate the feast of St. Kateri Tekakwitha on July 14th. In France, they celebrate Bastille Day, which marked basically the beginning of the French Revolution. Liberté, égalité, fraternité was the slogan. Kind of ironic, don't you think, when you think about how the Catholic Church fared during the French Revolution? (laughs) Very fair indeed, just to point that out. Uh, There was a a set of ironies in many ways, and a set of, uh, one could say, hypocrisies uh, surrounding so much of what uh, occurred with the French Revolution. The Estates General that uh, helped to bring about uh, the French Revolution, especially when the Third Estate, so there were three estates at the time, the, the nobility, the clergy, and the, the commoners. And so many of members of the First Estate, of the clergy, sided with the commoners to help usher in the French Revolution, little knowing, I think, uh, the nightmare that was going to descend upon France and the nightmarish era that was going to descend upon Europe, uh, that uh, the legacy of which we're still dealing with today. Yeah. Well, tell us about Maximilien Robespierre. He's one of the principal figures in the revolution. What did he and the Jacobins think of Catholicism? Well, to look at uh, the French Revolution, we have to think of it uh, very clearly as a, kind of a series of eras. We had the initial French Revolution, uh, the, the start of it, the French mark today, with the storming of the Bastille, which was uh, the, sort of the royal prison of Paris uh, that was infamous, uh, for many reasons, um, rather unfairly, too, just because at the time of the storming of it, there were only about seven prisoners. <laughs> but the, the revolution itself soon sank into uh, squabbling political disagreements, and then the Girondists, as they were called, were essentially eclipsed by another movement called the Jacobins, uh, who were much more radical. And the primary leader of the that group was, as you say, Maximilien Robespierre, who was a, a lawyer. He's probably the most infamous leader of uh, the, the French Revolution, uh, who was able to bring about not just the fall of the French monarchy in 1792, uh, and was uh, a key figure also in the eventual murder of the king, Louis XVI, and of course Marie Antoinette, uh, but then established himself uh, in the name of national security, uh, the de facto tyrant of France. And his group, the Committee of Public Safety, launched pogroms against all of its enemies. And one of the greatest enemies that they had uh, under what was called the Reign of Terror was the Church. 
at the same time imposing a kind of cult of reason, as they described it. And, of course, priests were arrested. Uh, The church itself was controlled. Uh, You had the imposition of laws. Uh, It was a truly dark time for France. Notre Dame Cathedral, they attempted to destroy it during the French Revolution, did they not? Well, they did. And and one of the things that uh, they did especially was to use Notre Dame Cathedral for uh, the the idea of the cult of the supreme being, uh, to establish a kind of post-Christian deism uh, that included, uh, as part of this cult of reason, uh, the the de facto and tacit de-Christianization of France. And that included a series of uh, desecrations of Notre Dame, uh, that uh, you can call them secular liturgies, uh, and I can't even describe this morning here on the radio uh, so many of the things that they did within Notre Dame, uh, because they were vile, they were intended to mock the Church, uh, and they saw this as the obliteration of Christianity, of faith, uh, in the face and in preference for reason and so-called enlightenment. And that was accompanied, as it always is under those circumstances, with an absolute tyranny that uh, brought about the deaths of thousands uh, from, we famously remember, the guillotine. And his downfall itself, uh, Robespierre, was at the hands of the guillotine. And uh, the, the infamous stories about his own death, uh, but it was part and parcel of the era in which the political situation as horrendous as it was, deteriorated, and of course, the dictators soon began feasting on each other. Well, let's look at the storming of the Bastille in in the time that we have left. The key to the Bastille was given to George Washington by the Marquis de Lafayette, who obviously played a key role in helping us win the Revolutionary War here in America. What was his role in the French Revolution? Well, Lafayette uh, played a very important role in in doing two things, uh, somewhat unsuccessfully, but nevertheless he's he's remembered for them. The the one is trying to bring about uh, the kind of reform uh, that uh, he saw here in the United States, the type of uh, of the American Revolution he had hoped uh, with the needs for reform and renewal in France that he would be able to guide in, in some way uh, the movement toward an authentic revolution, again, based on so many of the principles of uh, the United States. And, and that's why he helped write uh, the Declaration of the Rights of Man that the, became kind of the blueprint for a lot of what happened in the revolution. Uh, and yet uh, he was uh, a loyal and ardent monarchist. So he walked a very fine line on the one hand of trying to bring about uh, a, a revolution, again, on American principles, Uh, but then on the other to try to retain the monarchy as best he could. Ultimately, he got the revolution, but could not save the monarchy. And that led, of course, to the execution of the king, as I was noting, and his eventual near arrest, because he fell out of favor with the the very radicals that he had hoped to guide, uh, fled the country and spent a number of years in an Austrian prison eventually coming back to great honor in France. There's so much more I want to talk to you about, Dr. (laughs) Munson, but we are out of time. In the end, you would say probably not a day to celebrate as a Catholic. Uh, No, not a day to celebrate, but a day to remember. Dr. Matthew Munson, thank you so much, as always. Great to be with you. God bless. It was great to have you. Thank you. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news.
The U.S. bishops have denounced the Food and Drug Administration's approval yesterday of an over-the-counter birth control pill. The Dublin-based manufacturer has said Opil will likely be available for purchase in the United States next year, marking the first time that hormonal contraception will be available in the U.S. without a prescription. Bishop Robert Barron released a statement saying, quote, This action by a government entity flies in the face of responsible medical practice, and concerns for women's health. Claims that the benefits of this action outweigh the risks are unfounded, especially in light of strong evidence of the many harmful risks of hormonal contraception to women's health. He said, quote, allowing this hormonal contraception to be dispensed over the counter without the supervision of a doctor and contrary to the mounting evidence of many harmful side effects violates the Hippocratic Oath by putting the health of women at grave risk. End quote. In Washington, a divided House voted yesterday to end Department of Defense policies that pay for abortion travel and for transgender surgeries for members of the U.S. military. These were two amendments that passed on nearly party line basis in the National Defense Authorization Act, which sets the military's budget for the next fiscal year. The Secret Service says it is unable to connect anyone with cocaine that was discovered in the White House and is closing the investigation. Mark Mayfield reports. The law enforcement agency said it was unable to single out a person of interest from the hundreds of individuals who passed through the West Executive Avenue entrance where the cocaine was discovered. Testing failed to reveal sufficient DNA or fingerprint evidence, and surveillance camera footage was reviewed but produced no leads. A Secret Service officer spotted the small plastic baggie on July the 2nd in a storage cubby used to temporarily store electronic and personal devices. I'm Mark Mayfield. A brutal heat wave continues to roast much of the southern United States, set to break records in places like California, Texas, and Florida. In Death Valley, California, temperatures could potentially reach 130 degrees this weekend, which would match the highest temperature ever reliably recorded on Earth. Heat warnings and advisories are in effect for millions of people. In Phoenix, the high temperatures have been over 110 degrees for nearly two weeks, and there's no end in sight. In El Paso and in Miami, the highs have been over 100 degrees for nearly a month. Hollywood is going dark as film and television production grinds to a halt. The union representing 160,000 actors is going on strike, joining the screenwriters who have been on strike for nearly two and a half months. A Vatican official has spoken on AI at universities. Francesca Merlo reports. The event, entitled Renewal and Awareness, Thinking about the Future of Catholic Universities, was organized by the Strategic Alliance of Catholic Research Universities and took place at the Catholic University of the Sacred Heart in Milan. Cardinal Jose Tolentino de Mendoza emphasized the need for Catholic universities to lead in innovation and engage with emerging trends. He stressed the importance of dialogue, addressing contemporary challenges and fostering continuous renewal based on awareness. Drawing on Pope Francis' remarks on artificial intelligence, Cardinal de Mendoza encouraged universities to fearlessly embrace AI and digital technologies while considering ethical implications. Prioritizing individual well-being and upholding moral values were key principles he emphasized. Regarding 
Regarding the anthropological implications of AI, Cardinal de Mendoza highlighted the importance of a holistic approach that centers on the human person. He advocated for investing in the formation of individuals, nurturing their cognitive, creative, spiritual and ethical potential. The Cardinal also highlighted the importance of universities engaging with society and fostering encounters among diverse cultures. Creative intelligence and discernment rooted in strong values were identified as essential qualities. Concerns were raised about the rapid pace of technological advancement, emphasizing the need for fairness, confidentiality and data verification. However, participants agreed that AI has the potential to contribute to sustainable societies and introduce new professions. The outcomes of the colloquium will be summarized in a public document that addresses the intersection of AI and the values upheld by Catholic universities. As the International Federation of Catholic Universities approaches its centenary next year, this gathering provided valuable insights on effectively incorporating AI into university practices and contributing to a better future. That's the news. It's 35 past. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. One of the greatest proofs of love that Jesus displayed on the cross was putting up with the imperfections of his neighbor. He even showed his love for those who put him to death. In those dire moments, the Savior expressed thoughts of love even for his executioners, pardoning them in the very act of sinning. How petty-minded we are, when we cannot bring ourselves to forget some injury received, even after a long time. Whoever sincerely pardons another, calls down abundant blessings, and perfectly imitates Christ. The lives of the saints are nothing but the gospel put into practice. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Chris Armstrong. It's 37 minutes past the hour, and you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Sunrise Morning Show legal and political analyst Ken Craycraft is back with us now. He's a professor at Mount St. Mary's Seminary and writes for the Catholic Telegraph and our Sunday visitor. Ken, good morning. Ken. So, Ken, we are looking at another recent ruling from the Supreme Court with major implications for religious liberty, Groff v. DeJoy. Now, Gerald Groff 
is an evangelical Christian, not to be confused with Jared Goff, who is totally willing to work on Sundays. Um, he was a postal worker who, when the post office contracted with Amazon to deliver packages on Sundays, would not work on Sundays. And he switched post offices, offered to work extra weekday shifts, but eventually this just didn't work out. He kept getting scheduled on Sundays and disciplined for not showing up. And so he quit. He eventually sued the U.S. Postal Service. And so the Supreme Court was examining this situation in light of Title VII in the Civil Rights Act, which is the Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act is the section of the Civil Rights Act that uh, pertains to different types of discrimination or prohibitions of different types of discrimination in the employment context. Uh, and anybody who is named in Title VII as a someone who is protected from discrimination is called a protected class. And so whenever there's a case that comes up in the employment context under Title VII, whether it be religious freedom or sex or other or race, uh, then um, then the question has to be whether the that that person is in the protected class. And if so, what accommodations must be made uh, for that person uh, if there is an infringement upon some aspect uh, that relates to his sex, gender, or in this case, of course, religion. Uh, Title VII, and it's important to note, Annie, that this is not a First Amendment case. The First Amendment mm -hmm. was almost never even discussed uh, in, yeah. in the briefing and in the argument. It's a Title VII case. It's only about a religious, uh, the practice of religious faith in the employment context. Okay, and so can you talk about what changes now in light of this ruling from the Supreme right. Court? So what the court had been using a standard uh, from a case in 1977 called Trans World Airlines versus Hardison. Some of us are old enough to real to remember when TWA existed oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, as an airline. Yeah. So TWA versus Hardison was a case from 1977. So and it was a case that interpreted Title VII. Now, Title VII says that uh, an employer has to make accommodations for, quote, all aspects of religious observance and practice, as well as belief, unless an employer demonstrates that he is unable, un unable to reasonably accommodate the employee without undue hardship on the conduct of an employer's business, unquote. That's the language from Title VII. And the key phrase is, he has to reasonably accommodate the employer unless it would cause uh, uh, undue hardship. So what Transworld Airlines versus Hardison did in 1977 was to interpret what undue hardship means under Title VII for purposes of religious freedom. Uh, the plaintiff in that case was, was a member of a, a group called the Worldwide Church of God. Uh, sometimes it's mistakenly thought that he was, a, he was in the Seventh-day Adventist because he claimed that he couldn't work on Saturday. That was the, yeah. the Sabbath of the Worldwide Church of God. But so he was, he actually um, was fired. He didn't quit. He was fired from his job because he refused to work on Saturday. The Supreme Court interpreted uh, the undue hardship standard from Title VII in that case as showing, quote, more than a de minimis cost, unquote, to the business. So if if the accommodation, in other words, would show to the business, quote, more than a de minimis cost, unquote, the accommodation did not have to be given and the employee could be fired. And of course, Hardison was fired. 
The court has long been dissatisfied with the standard, but has had a difficult time finding a replacement for it. And that's what Groff did. So with Groff, the standard has now been changed. Now, it still is not going to be all, all that easy to define in, in the concrete uh, cases that come before uh, an employer. So we will see more litigation. But at least now we have in uh, a new standard. And that standard is this. Uh, to justify the denial of an accommodation, quote, an employer must show that the burden of granting an accommodation would result in substantial increased costs in relation to the conduct of a particular business. So you see it, the standard has gone from, quote, more than a de minimis cost, unquote, to substantial increased cost in relation to the conduct of a particular business. And then uh, Justice Alito, who wrote the opinion, went on to say that the test, the courts must, quote, take into account all relevant factors in the case at hand, including the particular accommodations at issue and their practical impact in light of the nature, size, and operating cost of an employer, unquote. And the reason this is important, Annie, is the standard is going to uh, have a different result in different kinds of employers. Mm -hmm. So a mom and a mom and pop uh, uh, grocery store, for example, or or uh, or a coffee shop or something like that, it's going to have a very different impact on, on a business like that than, for example, the post office or right. uh, IBM or Apple or, you know, where where the cost is going to be far, far less in granting particular uh, isolated um, accommodations to particular employees. So there's still going to be litigation, but the standard at least is uh, higher than it was before. And it's going to give employees more room to practice their religious, uh, uh, exercise their religious freedom in the employment context without having to be unduly burdened by the employer if it if it uh, requires them not to work certain days or not to do certain things. Yeah. And so the Groff case is not completely over. His his case has been remanded back That's to lower correct. courts to look at it again in light of this new standard. And so I want to take just a, a few moments. Um, we've talked about the purpose of work any number of times, Ken. It's for human yeah. flourishing, ultimately for leisure, which is ultimately for worship, rest in God. Can you talk about an employer's duty toward its employees in light of that? You know, as Catholics, we have to understand that our faith isn't just confined to the walls of the church, nor is it confined to simply what goes on inside our minds. Uh, it has to do with the way that we structure our lives, including our moral actions, and that includes work. And we, we have to understand that even though we live in a society that is not a, quote, Christian, unquote, we have to, un we have to, uh, to the extent that we can in a pluralist society, hold uh, employers accountable to the religious predilections of uh, of their employees. And that includes Christians who understand that the purpose of work is not to work, but rather to create the conditions for a flourishing uh, life. And so in a, in a situation, in a, in a We've lost Ken. I, Ken, I'm sorry. Take... I'm going to cut you off because we just we lost you for a, a good amount of time there. Um, just just quickly, uh, I'll, I'll just let you make your point before we let you go. If you're there. I was I was just going to say, yeah, that, that the employee has to make an accommodation because the purpose of work is not to work, but rather the purpose of work is to create the conditions for human flourishing in all aspects. And that includes time and leisure to worship God, which is our highest calling. Absolutely. And so the bottom line is 
God <laughs> is worship, not not the almighty dollar, which uh, exactly. I think even we as Catholics um, often forget when it comes to issues of work. But we'll have to leave it there for now. We've got our Sunday visitor linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. You can read Ken's piece on Groff v. DeJoy over at OSV. Ken, thank you so much. Thank you, Annie. All right. It is 14 till now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Father Hezekiah Carnazzo joins us next. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Laura Teach Me to Pray, the Ignatian Prayer Series, can now train you and others electronically to become facilitators and bring the Ignatian way of prayer to your parish. Come to know and love Jesus Christ like never before and help others do the same. Don't pass up the opportunity to join this work of the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. That's LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. Hey Alexa, how many ways can I get EWTN? You can get EWTN on television, via cable and satellite, on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, and Google Play. You can get EWTN radio in your car on Sirius XM Channel 130. And on the go on any mobile device with the EWTN app. And here's the best news. Now you can get EWTN's great programming on me. 13 till, here's Anna with headlines. The U.S. bishops have denounced the FDA's approval yesterday of an over-the-counter birth control pill. A divided House voted yesterday to end Department of Defense policies that pay for abortion travel and for transgender surgeries for military members. And a brutal heat wave continues to roast much of the United States. Next newscast in about 14 minutes from now as the Sunrise Morning Show continues here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Hezekiah Carnazzo from the Institute of Catholic Culture. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Annie. Such a blessing to be with you and your listeners today. It is a blessing to have you back. And we're looking ahead to the Mass readings for the 15th Sunday in ordinary time and we will get the parable of the sower in the gospel matthew chapter 13 and before we get to the parable itself i know you just came back from the holy land on a pilgrimage with the icc so tell us about the spot where this this parable is is told you know that's it's a good question we have to when we're reading our bibles have to get into the story. We have to see Jesus speaking. 
And this is fundamentally important about the famous parable of the of the sower who threw the seed and some on good ground, some on rocky ground. We've all heard this before since we were children. But we, what we probably don't realize is where Jesus is standing, where, well, he's on a boat, right? He's teaching from a boat. The crowds are gathering around. Is an area just south of Capernaum, along the Sea of Galilee. And lo and behold, if you go there today, and you can go, you can look it up on your computers if you want to see it, type in the Bay of the, of the Sower, and you'll see right there, right next to the, on the shoreline, there's rocky ground, there's thorns and thistles, and then there's fertile soil, right? There's citrus trees growing right along the edge of the sea. And it's also uh, a beautiful amphitheater. Thousands of people coming, Jesus speaking from the sea, the wind coming up from behind him and blowing toward the, toward the seashore and carrying his voice over these crowds. So it's an amazing, beautiful spot. If you know the land, then, as the, as the local Christians always call it, the, the, the Holy Land is called the Fifth Gospel. It reveals to us what Jesus is teaching us. So then we get this parable where, you know, the the sower is putting out seeds and some are on the path and the birds come up and eat them right away. And then you have those that that fall on rocky soil. And so they spring up at once, but then the sun scorches it. And then you've got the seeds that fall among the thorns and they grow, but then the thorns choke it. And then you've got mm-hmm. the seed that falls on the rich soil. And so, Father, I kind of want to focus on those last two particularly, because I would think that that probably sums up, when you look at how Jesus explains the parable, probably sums up most of our listeners, those that, that want to hear the word and have it grow in our hearts. How do we avoid the thorns, Father? Well, and that's a, that's a good question, but again, a text without a context, no text at all. Jesus wasn't speaking to you. Well, he is <laughs> yeah, that's a good speaking point. to you, but not originally, right? He's literally in God, and now, context again, Matthew chapter 13, Jesus has already been performing miracles. Things have gotten a little contentious between him and the, and the, and the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees. So he starts speaking in parables. Because, as the Father said, if he had come out and said this openly, and he called the thorns out for the thorns, and the rocky soil the rocky soil, they would have arrested him. <laughs> yeah. Okay? He's pointing at, he's, he's telling his, his closest followers the truths of what's going on around them, and that's the context of the people that are hanging around. There's bad people that are sitting there trying to find out how they're going to destroy him. And there's, there's people that are watching, listening to Jesus, and they're not sure. Are they going to become disciples and follow him? Or are they too afraid of the authorities and what might happen to them and their livelihood if they were to do so? And so Jesus is talking about the crowds that are around him in this parable. By extension, all of us who also find ourselves in a context, don't we? And are we willing to be disciples of the Lord and allow the Word of God to come and, 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 and grow in our hearts? Or are we kind of, kind of doing two things? We're listening to Jesus. But in the context of our life, we're having communion with those that are truly anti-Christ. We're praying the rosary. On the other hand, we're listening to music quite contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're watching programs on our televisions, our computers. These are the groups that are around us right now, much like there was groups around the disciples there, and they had to make a decision on who they were going to follow. You want the soil of your soul to be rich and fertile and ready for the Word of God to be planted in it? 
then you better till and keep it. You better get it ready for the Word of God to come, because you, you, you can't come out unwatered, untilled, on all that stuff, having, having soaked in all of what the world wants to offer us and expect the Word of God to grow within us. It's just not going to happen. Which is exactly why we advocate for folks to switch to Catholic media, because uh, that is how you can till and keep that soil. Now, the this sort of a gardening theme uh, runs throughout all of the readings, really, Father. We have Isaiah 55, in which uh, we see uh, the Lord talking about rain going down and not coming back until they have watered the earth. And so the word that comes forth from his mouth shall not return to him void. I also think it interesting in uh, Romans 8 that Paul talks about creation groaning until the day that mm-hmm. uh, that they can have their full purpose once again. I mean, what is standing out to you in these readings? Oh, the importance is just as you're making a point of, the Scriptures are full of agricultural images, right? We're, we're not living anymore, not very many of us, living in the same type of an environment in which, in which nature can speak to us and be an image by which we might understand the immaterial realities. And as, as Isaiah says in the Old Testament, as you mentioned in Romans, the natural world is meant to be revelatory. Of course, in Isaiah, the Word of God is, is the law of God. The law of God, which had been rejected by the people in, in, before the Babylonian exile, Isaiah now, in chapter 55, is prophesying a re- in which the Word of God is going to come down, much like rain upon the earth, making it fertile and fruitful and giving seed to the one who sows. Now, I would just encourage our listeners, when you open up your Bible, Isaiah 55, verses 10 through 11, allow those images to do what they're meant to do. Because you know what it looks like for rain to come down upon the ground and make the grass grow. We have to slow down a bit. And this is what I, I love about your, your radio program, Annie, is it allows people to prepare themselves for Sunday Mass. Slow down a little bit. Allow these images to, to, to bear fruit within you, so that when you come to Mass, you are prepared. We should be reading these, these, these texts before we come to Mass, listening to these programs, going to the Institute of Catholic Culture, learning, getting our hearts ready for the Word of God to be planted within us. Yeah, and I'd like to particularly recommend the Bible study that Father and I did on these readings this week over at the Institute of Catholic Culture. If listeners want to go check that out or uh, any of the other resources over at the ICC, how do they find you? Instituteofcatholicculture.org. You can find instituteofcatholicculture.org linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. If you want to check out the Bible study particularly, Click on the Explore button, and then uh, on the sidebar that pops up, you click on Gospel Reflections, and it'll take you right there. And speaking of the Institute of Catholic Culture, up next hour, Dr. Chad Pecknold will be back with us. He's going to be teaching uh, Catholic Political Thought 102 at the ICC. A couple more minutes to get uh, registered for that, but... He's going to be talking about Bastille Day and the French Revolution and Catholic political thought. So hope you can stick around for the next hour of the Sunrise Morning Show here on EWTN Radio.